stand all over the house as the worship team makes their way. We're going to sing an old hymn of the church. Uh, you can, it'll be on your screens this evening. We think we've got everything fixed today. Uh, but it's also in your hymn books entitled The Hallelujah Side. And one day we're all going to go to heaven. And we're going to be living over there on that hallelujah side. So let's worship together.
to our time of meeting and greeting one another. Father, we worship you tonight. We glorify your name, and we thank you that we feel your presence in this house. Father, I pray, Lord, as we get ready to take a moment to greet one another in the Lord, I pray that you would come into this place, and we'd feel your presence, and you would just come down and make residency with us this evening. And Lord, we commit this service into your loving arms and care. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. In the body of Christ, said, amen. 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 Will you take the next few moments to meet and greet one another at this time. about the grace of the Lord this evening. So let's worship together.
know tonight that you are holy, righteous, and worthy of all the praise. And so, Lord, we're going to come to your house tonight and declare, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, worthy to receive all our praise today. And so we thank you, Father, for all that you do for us each and every day.
resistant voices. Let's sing together. Sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your like never before so sing, sing like, like never before oh my soul i worship your holy name lord i worship your holy name one more time lord i worship your Father, Lord, we stand in this house of worship tonight to bless the Lord. Lord, the psalmist David wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So, Lord, tonight we bless the name of the Lord. Father, I know that it's a Sunday night. I know that we could be doing all kinds of things. We could be resting at home, or we could be finding things to do to fill the rest of this afternoon and evening. God, we've come into this house tonight to spend time with you. And Lord, we know you're not a God that disappoints. So we're asking you in this house tonight to intervene and to speak to our hearts as we break the bread of life tonight. We ask that you would let us not only be hearers of the word that is about to be spoken, but doers thereof as well. And we will forever give you the praise and the glory and honor that is due the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and the body of Christ together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go to the book of 2 Chronicles. Go to the book of 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter number 7. Book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Chronicles, and it'll be chapter number 7. While you're turning there, don't let me forget to remind you that Carmen and Tyler's baby shower is coming up, so we do need you to RSVP this weekend coming up if you're able to attend. If you think you may be able to attend, but you're not sure if you'll be able to attend, RSVP anyway, so we have for preparation uh, for you. Uh, we'd rather have be over overly prepared than underprepared. So please uh, make sure she's getting close. That bowling ball is getting bigger and bigger. And uh, so it'll be here before you know it. And we'll have all kinds of stuff. Remember, she's registered at Amazon and Target. If you're going to use Amazon, please use the Amazon Smile info that we have on the fellow, I mean, on the Welcome Center table, just so that we can help the home for children at the same time. So we want to make sure that we do that as well. We're continuing our series on assignments. We started one on intercession this morning, but we're on, the, on the nights we've been also talking about assignments as well and diving into this idea of prayer as well. So 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 13. A couple of these verses are going to be really familiar to you. And then some of them, they may not ring a bell as much. When I shut up the heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If then my people who are called by my name 
humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now the eyes of the Lord will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now I, I would, if we were playing a good game of Bible trivia, I would ask you, if you know what this scripture, before you look at what this scripture, this passage we're reading tonight, where it centers around, but I'll go ahead and tell you, this is the dedication of Solomon's temple. Solomon, his father David had collected all the materials, but Solomon finished the job. And Solomon's here, and he's asking God, he's made a petition to God, that God, we have now built you a sanctuary, a house of worship, a church, a house of worship, but it means nothing unless you come in the house. See, I can tell you right now, we can one day build, go up here and build a 300-seat sanctuary, but if God's not in the house, we just built a building. We didn't build a house of worship. But the God that we have experienced in this house, multiple services and multiple times, has to be the same God that transfers into the new building when we get there one day because this house, that house, and this house, the temple of the Holy Spirit, has to be a place where God resides. And so that was the idea of Solomon. He said, God, I need you. And so God said, my eyes will be open and attentive, not to just anything in church. Don't miss what I'm about to say here. God's not looking for everything in church. He's only looking for certain things in church. He don't care how good you sing. He just wants you to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He doesn't care how professional or He wants you to practice, but he doesn't care if you've got a Ph.D. in music theory or music therapy. He doesn't care. He wants you to use your talents and gifts for the Lord. But one of the main things he wants is that his eyes will be open and his ears attentive not to how good you sing, not to how well you play, and not to how good the preacher preaches. It is attentive to the prayers that are offered in the house of the Lord. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name will be there forever. My eyes and heart will be there perpetually. As for you, though, this is God's promise to him, said Solomon, as for you and the people of God, if you walk before me as David your father walked humbly and do all according to that which I've commanded you, obeying, and if you keep my statutes and judgments, heed to his word, then will, not before, don't miss the prepositions used here. It's a condition. If you walk before me, if you obey me, if you keep my word, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I did the covenant with David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man rule in Israel. But, don't you love that word? That three-letter word, is a, it can be a dangerous word. But if you turn away, and if you forsake my word, and if you forget my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then... I will uproot you from the land which I've given them. This house which I've sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and it will be a proverb and a byword among all people. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it, it will be an astonished, they will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this thing in, and in this house? And then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God of their fathers. What God is saying is people are going to see it today at Dedication Sunday. They're going to see this beautiful building. But one day if you don't listen to the word of the Lord, they're going to walk by this building and say, what happened to that church? What happened to that church? 
because they forsook the Lord their God of their fathers and brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced the other gods and worshiped and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. So I want to continue the second part or the third part, if you will, of this series. Seriously, why pray? Seriously, why pray? I'm going to ask the former shepherd and pastor of this house, Pastor Art, if he would pray over the word today. Pastor, would you pray today? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I started a couple weeks ago with this idea, and we read out of Psalms chapter 13, and we were talking about David and running from Saul and his times, and we were talking about the prayerful weapons that we use against the schemes of the enemy. The first prayer I offered up to you, I said we should always pray the Word of God. Jesus used it so eloquently in his temptation in the wilderness. Every time he combated the devil, he combated him with the Word of God. And all throughout Scripture, there are different times where praying the Word of God actually was better than praying my words. It was better to use what God already had promised. Then last week, we talked about the prayer of praise. That sometimes you got to praise your way out of it. You can't just dwell on the problem. you got to thank God that He's in the boat with you. The boat might look like it's sinking, but the last time the boat was sinking, He got up and said, Peace be still. And so you just praise God and keep knowing He'll take care of it from there. But tonight... I want to pick up on the number three. Not only is it a prayer of God's word as one weapon, prayer of praise, but then there's the prayer of obedience. And that prayer of obedience is where we're going to focus for a few moments tonight. In Solomon's day, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, in this passage of Scripture, it is a ending, if you will, a, fin a finality of years in the making. Years prior to this chapter, David had had this desire to build a house of worship for God. He wanted, to, he wanted God. David was a worshiper. And what had happened was all of the years David had run from God and all the years that David had fled from Saul and ran in, in, in fear and hiding and trembling, in those cave of Adullams and in those backside wildernesses as a shepherd boy, he would write things like the Lord is my shepherd and he would write songs of worship. But he went from first being a worshiper, but he also had to learn to be a warrior because Goliath shows up. And the only way Goliath could be, to be overtaken or be destroyed was not by, we said it this morning, use the scripture, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Everybody else had spears and swords trying to take on Goliath, but they couldn't beat him. He was too big of a giant for them. But David, David said, I don't come to you in a spear and a sword, but I'm coming with a different weapon. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel and the host of Israel's armies. David wasn't coming with, with physical weapons. He was coming in a worship weapon. He was coming not with a sling and a stone, but he was coming with the mighty hand of God on his side. And he defeats the giant. He constantly has to beat the other four giants of the lands, of the, of the sons of Anak. He's been a warrior. He has shed blood. 
He's a military general. He's a mastermind of the desert areas. He knows how to, if you will, navigate the terrain of the Judean deserts. But he always, his heart was a worshiper. In fact, when he had fled from his son Absalom, when he had fled from everyone else, the Ark of the Covenant got taken and it was sent to the house of Obadiah and finally it was sent to the house of Obadiah and God was blessing him. I mean, it was blessing and blessing and everything. And David said, you know what, I want those blessings to be in my house. So he summoned for the Ark of the Covenant to come back to Jerusalem. It had been with the Philistines for quite some time. They had sent it on a cart with some horses or some uh, oxen and cattle, and, and it came back. And David sent for it. He built a new cart. He built a new, new, new structure to carry it, saddled it up, and brought it. And as he saw it coming down the road, Bible said the Spirit of the Lord hit him, and he began to feel the presence of God, and he danced out of his, his robe, and everybody, you know, most people were like, oh, well, David, David didn't dance. When the Bible says naked before the Lord, he was not naked. He had just taken out his outer cloak or his outer garment because the king, when he would be in front of the people, he had a robe that he wore to dignify or to signify his dignity as royalty. But what happened, Brother Mike, in that moment when he saw the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the tangible representations of the presence of God coming back to Israel, he realized there's a bigger king in this house. He realized, I might be the king of these people, but the king of all kings is coming down the road. And he began to worship, and he basically took off his priestly or his kingly robe and laid it in the street and said, I'm not even worthy to be a king in the presence of that guy right there. When he gets back to the house, his wife, McCall, is as, as angry. She said, you've embarrassed me. She, she was not embarrassed by David because she wasn't mad at David for what you think. She was mad and embarrassed at David because it made her look bad. She, didn't, she loved David as a king, but she despised him as a worshiper. She didn't mind as long as David sat on ivory towered or ivory laid uh, if you will, thrones and, and had marble steps leading into his corridor of his, of his throne room and she had a chair beside him. She didn't mind when he put on the golden crown laid with an ornate jewels. She didn't mind when he held the diamond studded scepter and he would give the ruling of the people. She loved the light. She despised his worship because she came out of the same fabric and came out of the same DNA and womb of a guy by the name of Saul. See, Saul despised worship because every time he'd have a foul spirit, David would begin to play in his things. And multiple times, Saul had taken a javelin and tried to pierce the very heart of David and pin him to a wall because Saul despised at that time the worship of God's people. So Michael has this, if you will, this same DNA. She loves being the king's wife. She loves the limelight, but she hates the worship. And when David laid aside his kingship, to become just a peasant and servant in the kingdom of God, she despised him. And God cursed her, for she was not able to have children. And David begins to have this dream of building a temple for God's presence to supremely be a spectacle in the middle of the city, in the middle of the town. He begins to collect all these things, and God says, but David, I can't let you do it. You have shed too much blood. You're a man of war. My house is not to be a place of bloodshed. My house is not to be a place. And I want to say this as a sad note. This is a total different sermon for a different day. But for the many, many years, the church has become a slaughterhouse than a house of mercy. There's too many churches operating right now where they'd rather dice you, slice you, cut you, and kill you than mercifully lead you to a repentant heart of Christ at an altar. 
The blood, the church has become a place of bloodshed. You got churches splitting from here and churches splitting from there, and this person getting mad and that person getting mad, and people saying something to offend somebody or somebody else getting mad at what somebody else said. And we have innocently shed lives at the altar of sacrifice of church when the altar should have been a place of mercy and grace. David said, God said, you can't. You got too much blood. He said, but your son Solomon, I'll let him do it. David gets all the materials. He gets it all gathered. He's getting ready to be called into his eternal resting place. And Saul, or Solomon has become the heir apparent of David's throne. As David takes his last feeding breath, and he is now resting with his fathers, and in his eternal resting place, Solomon begins to carry on the vision of his father. He gets cedars of Lebanon. He starts collecting many different items and gets people that are skilled in jewels and blacksmiths and people that work with ivory and marble to come create one of the most beautiful structures ever known to the modern world at that time, Solomon's Temple. It became, in fact, so well known that even historians say everybody around the world wanted to see the Temple of Solomon. It was, or, it was, uh, it was overlaid with pure gold. Every Every column ever had gold, it had marble in it, it had, it had various uh, rare, exquisite jewels. I mean, it was something to behold. The day comes that it's completed. Solomon says, we're going to have dedication Sunday to the new sanctuary next week. Everybody, get your ducks in a row, call your family, call your friends, call your co-workers, call everybody that you know. Next Sunday, we throw throwing down. It's dedication Sunday. And everybody comes and Solomon stands before the people and he begins to pray and he said, God, we got to have you. The God of this house has got to be the God of the new house. The God, the, God, the, the, the glory of the former house, of the latter house has got to go with the new house. And we've got to have you help us, God. You've got to go with us. If you don't go, we're not going. You've got to be in this place too. And God promises him that he will if the prayer of obedience is where we're going. He said, Solomon, if you listen to my commands, you obey my words, if you keep my statutes, I will make you a perpetual, uh, eternal king on the throne of Israel if you obey me. But, but, if you turn aside, you follow the ways of the world, and you get lulled to sleep by the gods of other nations, and you begin to follow them, then I will destroy, I will take your house, this house you're building, and I will perpetually destroy this house, and only because I promised David an eternal heir forever will I establish that, but your big bad temple up here, people one day will walk by and go, what happened to that church? Now here's where I want to go here for a minute before I really get into the crux of this prayer of obedience. There are many churches some in driving distance of this place of worship and some that I know in other states. They have built the Taj Mahals of churches in their day. They've got, you know, four, five, six hundred seat auditoriums. They've got family life centers. They've got parking. In, in their heyday, in their day, they ran 300 and 400 people and maybe even larger. The presence of the Lord was there and for a season of time, the 90s, the 2000s, all these seasons of time, there was something special about that house. But then there came a day. 
There's no one in the building very much anymore. They still are 400-seat sanctuaries, but with 25 people sitting in the room. Where did the rest of them go? And people ride by every day, pastor included. When they ride by that, they always say, what happened to that church? I mean, 20 years ago, it was the place to be. What happened there? 25 years ago, places that I've grown up in, places that my parents had served in ministry in, you ride by and go, what went wrong? What happened? Oh, it's beautiful. You can walk into those houses of worship. You can walk into those family lives. You can walk in all those places and look and go, man, this is pretty. But no one's there anymore. You can say, well, you know, there's pastoral changes or there's staff changes. Yeah, but when you go from a church that runs 350 to 25, it's more than just one pastor. And Warren wants to listen, I know a pastor can take it, but there comes a point that if the pastor takes it and it's 250 and we're at 25, somebody should be asking what he's doing. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. But there are times in our lives, in, in places like that, you ride by, and, and like Solomon's Day, you ride by and you go, God, what happened to the church? What happened to it? Parking lots used to be filled. Now you can count the parking lot going 60 miles an hour right past it. You know how many cars are in the parking lot that fast. You can count them all. You used to couldn't find a seat in the house. Now you can pick any seat you want to because probably nobody's going to be there anyway. So you can pick any, any chair or pew you want to sit in. The music, the band, you used to have a full band. You used to have a full worship team. You used to have all the stuff. Ahead of your time, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Now you don't have even a piano player. You're playing it on videos. The band is gone. The people are gone. The singers are gone. See, Solomon had a temple. It was beautiful. It was ornate. But the Bible said that God said, Solomon, if you mess this thing up, if you don't heed my words, if you don't obey me, if you don't pay attention to what thus saith the word of the Lord, there'll come a day people will drive by your temple and they'll see it in a heap of rubble. They'll see it in ruins. In fact, historians tell us, you can go back and study it. Years went by, Solomon has already passed. His children split the kingdom between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, one of Solomon's servants and one of his children. It all gets, they get one of them, they get overtaken and they eventually over time come back into captivity and eventually they destroyed Solomon's temple. They literally leveled it all the way down to the foundations. They just destroyed it brick by brick, mortar by mortar, column by column. They laid it flat and said, now what? It wasn't until Herod the Tetrarch in Jesus' day decided to resurrect the old Solomon's temple and he began to rebuild what now became known in modern history as Herod's temple, which was trying to replicate. But even people used to say this. That house will never measure. And you've heard this scripture said many times before. The glory of the former house or the latter house will be greater than that. Or the glory of this house will be greater than that of this house. What they were referring to, not as just the physical, tangible presence of God. While they were referring to God's presence, what they were saying is nothing measured up like Solomon's temple. Herod, you did a good job. It was great. It's awesome. But it ain't like that one. They were still stuck. If you will, in some capacity in the past, they still look back and said, man, what life was like back then. And they got stuck. And even when Herod built the temple, 
while the Jewish people loved it, there were still people talking, but the glory of this house is nothing like that day. Not like that day. Now, I'm not here to say you get stuck in the past. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I'm trying to say to the body of Christ, this body, those watching online, and anybody that watches this later, if we as the body of Christ, not just this local congregation, but universal churches around the world, if we do not maintain a prayer life of obedience and heeding to what thus saith the word of the Lord, one day people will ride by our campus and go, what happened to them? What happened to that church? What happened to those people? What happened? They were there. They were in the community. They were serving. They were ministering and changed lives and ministries. They were doing revivals with other churches. They were involved. And where are they now? Gone. Somebody will buy the property, bulldozer the sign, level this piece of property right here, this structure. And one day people say, well, that used to be where the church of God sat. Now it stinks, but it used to be the church of God. And I remember there was a time, one time, you know, years ago, man, the glory of the Lord would come in that house. The Spirit of the Lord would fall. Signs and wonders. Healings had taken place. From Pastor Ard to, to, to Pastor Gaskins to Pastor Vaughn. All various times in its, in its history, there were people that got healed, that got saved, that got spirit-filled, that got delivered. I mean, there was a time that that was the place to be. Now you can just get you a 49-cent polar pop at the gas station because God's building is no longer there. It, dis, it disfranchised. Fell apart, and there's nothing left. See, the reality of it is this: I do believe that the words I read to you in Second Chronicles seven still true are still true today. If we don't heed the words of the Lord, if we don't follow the word of God, if we don't listen to the precepts of God's word, there will come a day we will cease to exist in this location. But I do believe. That if we do what God said, if we heed his word and we seek his commands, that he will make this house perpetually attentive by the prayers offered up in this house. He'll open up his eyes and he'll open up his ears and he will establish forever a covenant to make us a beacon of light in this community. But it's only if we heed to the obedience of his word. And I'm going to say to you, and this is going to be controversial, and please understand when I say this, you know I'm not here to make friends, but you also know I'm serious about when I say this. There will not come a day, and I'm telling you, you can write it down, you can tweet it, you can put it in your day, but the day anybody in this house of worship asks me to compromise this word, I will resign that moment, and I will go somewhere else. But I will not be going, well, my watch, allow the spirit of, of, of cultural relevancy, the spirit of social relevancy, the spirit of trying to just make everybody feel warm and fuzzy, allow that to happen. I would rather go work at Wall Walmart by myself than to ever compromise what thus saith the word of the Lord. I'm not here to bury a church. I'm not here to put you in the ground. I'm here to see the church rise up triumphant and be a remnant in these last days and let the word of the Lord be true and every man be a liar. Because the reality of it is only God's word will stand the test of time. Nothing else will. I've said this so many times till I'm blue in the face. I can God can say more to you in 15 minutes than I can say to you in the entire time I stay at this pastorate. God's word always stays the same. Hey, the Bible said not one dot, not one tittle will pass away. For my word will forever be established till the end of time. The prayer of obedience. You see, sometimes I understand. And this is thing we call church work and church business. I understand that there are times 
We don't always see eye to eye. Look, I'm not stupid. I know we have, everybody in here should have a belly button of some sort. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. Some have innies, some have outies, but all together, we all have them. Some people are outspoken, some people are introverts, but they're still here. Some people are loud, that would not be me. Some people are soft-spoken, that would be me. And, you know, everyone's different. We know that. We're not going to always see eye to eye. I get that. We're not always going to agree. In fact, there may be times we have to sit across the aisle and say, I agree to disagree. But one thing we have to come to an agreement on is this is the word of God. And this is what God's word means. And this is what God's word says. And we have to come in one mind and one accord and say, God is God and God never changes. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will depend on thus saith the word of the Lord. That has to stay the same. The same. Solomon prays this prayer. God says he would promise as long as some things were understood. You know, when God was angry at Israel for their disobedience, Moses prayed a prayer that changed the mind of God. God stopped the sun for Joshua to finish a battle. God stopped rain when Elijah prayed and then allowed it to rain again when Elijah prayed again. When one is found obedient to the word of God, God allows that person to find favor and he is faithful to them. I remember the story, King Saul is given an instruction by Samuel. You go into the take over this land, I believe it was the Amalekites. You are to destroy every one of them. Don't save nothing. Nothing. Saul gets there. He kills all the men, but the women and children and the livestock. He said, well, I was going to save the livestock for a sacrifice and, you know, all this stuff. And, and when he gets to Gilgal with Samuel, with the Amalekites, he, Samuel says, what is these people? What is this bleeding I hear what, what, in my ears? What, what, what is the sound of other? Tell me what I'm hearing. King of the Amalekites are there as well, and they had captured as a prisoner of war. And Saul said, Oh, Samuel, we killed everybody, you know, we killed all the men, all that stuff. We brought the, the we brought the these fine choices of animals that the Amalekites had so that we could sacrifice them. So we didn't have to use ours, we used theirs because theirs is nice. I mean, they're they're perfect for sacrifices, and that keeps us from having to to you, you know, lose some of our people. Let me help you understand something though. It is called a sacrifice of praise for a reason. It should cost you something. A sacrifice of praise does not mean let it be a convenient praise. It means it costs me something for the sake of being in a relationship with God. That's why it's called a sacrifice. It's something that is I'm having to give up that I want or that I desire. And as Saul begins to make excuses for his behavior, Samuel says this phrase. He kills the king. He tells the men of Israel to take finish the job. And he looks at Saul and says these words. Obedience is better than sacrifices. You can sacrifice all you want to, but if you sacrifice the wrong thing, you missed it. It's not so much about the sacrifice. It's about obeying what God said 
prior to the sacrifice. In fact, the very first major capital offense in the Bible had to do with how the sacrifice was presented to God. The very first capital case you ever find in the Bible was two brothers, Cain and Abel. The Bible does not say Abel brought a sacrifice and Cain stayed home and watched TV. No, no, no. That's not what it says. Both boys had been raised in the same two-parent home. They had been to the same church. They had watched Daddy Adam pray the prayer of blessing over food every day. They had watched Mama Eve get up every morning and pray and do her morning walks and devotions and cook the food and etc. They had lived in the same structure. And, when, and they obviously had been taught that you give to the Lord and you're supposed to worship the Lord. Because when the day came that they were supposed to bring their offering to God, it didn't say Cain stayed home. It said Cain brought sacrifice. He just brought leftovers. He went out to the field, found a few extra fruits and vegetables he didn't want. This one's rotten, and this one don't look like it's the best. This one I don't even like the way it tastes. I'll take that to God. I'll take God my leftovers, and he took it to the altar. He still gave a sacrifice, but his sacrifice meant nothing because he had forgotten that obedience is better than sacrifice. You give God your best. You don't give God the rest. Abel goes out into the field. He looks through and scours through and checks every detail of every lamb, you lamb that's out there. He's looking for one in the category of about a year old. He's looking for an imperfection in the wool. He's looking for a mark, whether it's a bite mark or a, some kind of uh, imperfection on a leg or on a hoof. He's looking for anything. And we don't know how long it took, but he for a long extensive period of time looked until he found what was perfect lamb. No blemish in the wool, no scars, no injuries, no anything. And he brought the best lamb he had in the flock. And he brought it to church that Sunday. And he laid it on his altar of sacrifice. Cain brought his fruits and vegetables and laid it on his. They both began to pray, but the Bible says, God accepted the sacrifice of Abel. He despised and rejected the offering of Cain. They were doing the same thing. They built an altar. They came to church. They came to hear the message. They had sang the same songs. They had went to the same Sunday school class. They had been to the same youth group. They had done the same thing every day. But when it came time to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, Unto the Lord, Cain was only willing to give God some of it. Abel was willing to give God all of it. God accepted it. And then, you know, Cain gets mad. He goes and kills his brother. The moral of the story for us to take tonight is this. We all come to church. We all sing together. We all worship together. We all listen to messages together. We're here together. God's not interested in you just giving part of you. He wants to have all of you. He doesn't want the leftovers of your life. He wants the best you have to offer of your life. And I say that also in the way we operate, what I what we call today is church. God doesn't want us to just give him a product. He wants to give he wants us to give him a, a product that is done with excellency. And to the best of our ability, it's not that we have to have professional musicians that we hire to play, but he wants us to work at being the best we can be for the kingdom of God. If you get a job 
Some jobs have what they call performance reviews. The job is after so long, they're going to come in their office and they're going to say, okay, let's look at the last six months, a year. Let's look at the last quarter of the year, whatever. Let's see what you're doing. If they see in that time period you've signed four or five new clients, you've got a couple million dollar loans or whatever your job is, secure and all this stuff, they're going to say, good job. But if they come in there six months after that and see you haven't got any more clients, haven't got any more loans, they're going to say something like, you know, I know you did good in quarter one, but now quarter two, we're not doing as good. I'm going to need you to kind of kick it in gear a little bit. And if you go, well, I've already did quarter one. I think I'm good for the year. They're going to fire you and find somebody else. That's what they're going to do. That's, that's, sorry, it's cutthroat America. That's what they do. It's always a, a risk and a reward and a balance, if you will, back and forth. The reality of it is what they're wanting is they want to get the best of you because if they're just getting leftovers, they're going to find somebody else they can get the best out of. And God does not want us to come to church and give him leftovers. He wants us to give him the best. God doesn't want us to give leftover praise on Sundays. He wants the best of Sundays. Now, you know, depending on how you work your calendar, the reality of it is that Sundays, actually on the Greco-Roman Judean calendar, is actually the start of the week starts on Sunday in Roman culture. Now, if you were of the Jewish faith, you had Saturdays as the day of Sabbath. But, but in the modern world, we say the first day of the week is not Monday. You look on a calendar, they will say the first day of the week is actually Sunday, first day of the week. Isn't it coincidental that the first day of the week, God also wants the first of us? God doesn't want us to carry what happened all through Saturday into Sunday and just half-heartedly love God. On Saturday night when we take our shower and we get ready for bed, God wants us to wash that off and start fresh on Sunday towards a new week. God, it's not that you don't carry the weight. It's not that you don't still feel it. But there are times in our lives God's not interested in us just giving him half-hearted worship. He wants all of our worship. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. People come to church, whether it's a song, whether it's a message, whether it's a Sunday school lesson, they leave disappointed, they leave frustrated, they leave angered, they leave whatever you may say. But it doesn't deter who God is. Look, I've been to church all my life. I mean, I was I was a drug addict, baby. I was drugged to every revival. I was drugged to every cleaning night. I was drugged to every church work day. I was drugged to other people's revivals. Shoot, you couldn't even, even if the other people across town was having a revival, you went to that one because you needed to hear God more. I mean, you we were drugged. We, we had church and then had to go to other people's church. I hated that stuff back then. It'd be somebody else's revival. I'm playing baseball, and I'm like, Mom, we have a game on Tuesday night. Yeah, but we have church. No, no, we don't have church. We had church on Sunday and Wednesday. They are in church. That's their pastor's dumb problem. He did that, not mine. You're going to church. No, I don't go to that church. You are now. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And guess where I ended up? At church. At church. It wasn't even our church. I had to make sure other people had people at Revival. I had to be their support system. But I look back at those times, I look back at all those moments in my life, you know, and yeah, I disgruntled and I didn't like it. I'm not here to say, you know, please don't say, oh, you know, pastor's going to start telling us we've got to be here Sunday through Saturday every day of the week. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, but there is an element 
The obedience, when we talk about obedience, is better than sacrifice. God's word says, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves as in the manner of some, but come together with exultation together to worship the Lord. Well, if we don't ever come together, then we're not obeying God. I mean, I didn't write the book. I just read it a time or two. If we never come, we're not obeying his word. The Bible tells us I'm supposed to give God the best of who I am. If I never give him my best, then I obviously am not obeying his word. God said the man who got the talent decided he wasn't going to do nothing with it and put it in the sand. When the master came and summoned, he uh, got a little mad about that and said, look, I gave you a test. Well, I was afraid if I messed it up, you'd get mad. And he said, no, what I'm going to get mad about is you didn't even try. That's what I'm going to get mad about. He took the talent and gave it to somebody else. Now, we obviously, as a, the band here, they have rehearsals on Wednesday and Obviously, we have Sunday school teachers that teach other classes. Look, I understand that financially we may not be as big as a mega church. And I understand that we may not have the volunteer base of a church that runs 1,000 people or even 500 people or maybe even 300 people. We may not have the staff that other churches have to do the jobs each week. We may not have the, the, the vastness of instrumentation that other churches may have. We may not even have the same amount of greeters or ushers or the amount of nursery workers or children's workers. We may not have a, a, the same number or volume of resources as others. But it doesn't mean we cannot do it with excellency to the best of our ability with who we are. Look, I'm not asking us. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking. We do these leadership trainings. I tell these guys, I'm not asking you to be faith. I'm not asking you to be Santee Circle Community. I'm not asking you to be freedom. Cypress Gardens Road, I'm not asking you to be one of the other church of gods in this area. I'm, I'm not asking you to be Journey Church or the Corner Church or all these other churches. I'm not asking. That's not what God asked us to do. He asked us at this property to do the best we can be here, not there. And they should be worried about just being focused on how to be the best there. This is all about a team game. This is a game we are in this together. I remember a story in the Bible, and I'm going to close with this. The prophet of God was coming through. He had been traveling. There had been a severe famine in the land. In fact, the waters of Cherith had dried up. The ravens have stopped bringing him morsels of bread. And God says to him, man of God, get up. You've been sitting by this brook too long. You've been running from Jezebel. You've been, living, you've been sitting here too long. Get up and quit wallowing in self-pity. He gets up, ravens aren't coming, the brook has dried up, the drought is all over the land. God leads him to an area called Zarephath. He arrives at Zarephath, he sees a woman out in the front yard gathering some sticks. Miss Carol, you can come. She's collecting sticks and the man of God stops Brother Larry and he just says, Hey, what you doing? Just nice, friendly, neighborly conversation. She said, I'm collecting some sticks because I got enough cornmeal to make one piece of cake, one, one little loaf of bread. And the famine has gotten so severe and my life has gotten so bad that I'm going to make this morsel of bread. I'm going to feed the majority of it to my son. And I'll eat what's ever left. And then we're going to go upstairs and lay down and we're going to wait to die because I have nothing else. I don't have resources. I live in a mycogenic. She at that time lived in a mycogenic society, meaning 
women were kind of a little bit lesser skill at that period than men. It was hard for them to find jobs. If they didn't have a husband, it was hard for them to remain substance, you know, have substance. So they, they were basically disenfranchised. They were disowned. She was a widow. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have, her child wasn't old enough to go into the labor force, apparently. And so she said to the man of God, I'm going to bake this bread, go upstairs, and we're going to die. Such a positive outlook, isn't it? And the man of God says, well, I'm hungry too. I can only imagine her mind like, that's not my problem. My problem is I got a five-year-old inside that's whining because he's hungry and I'm hungry. Uh, you're a man. Go get a job. Feed yourself. That's not my problem. You're a man. Go do something about it. But I'm going to die. And then the man of God has this audacity to look at her and say, would you mind taking that last bit of meal and make me a cake? Now, she could have been there and said, are you stupid? I can't make money. You can. Get off your lazy behind and go do it yourself. I'm going to make my cake. I'm going to die. The Bible says, she thought about it. The man of God says, just, just trust me if you do that. And so she finally agrees. I don't know if it was reluctantly. I, I, I don't know exactly what all went through her mind and every thought. Brother Rocky, at some point, the light bulb, she's like, what do I got to lose? I mean, one piece of cake. I'm going to die either way, whether I die now or I die tomorrow. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of bread. But because she obeyed the word of the man of God, he said, will you just make me one cake? She goes in the kitchen, and she begins to make this morsel of bread. Sister Alma, something beautiful happened in this story. I love this story. I love how the writer, whether you read it in King James or New King James or NIV or NASB, whatever, I love how the writers paint this picture in their literary novelty. She finishes the cake. She, Sister Nina, she takes it to the man of God sitting at her dining room table thinking, you low-down scoundrel. I ain't got a, nothing to eat. And you was over here eating a sour cream pound cake like a dirty dog. And she serves it. Brother Larry, the Bible doesn't say it exactly like this, but I imagine she was going back to the barrel to go ahead and wash it out because it was dirty and, and had cornmeal in it. and She's just ready to clean it up and put it in the cupboard. So she hands the plate to the man of God, and she goes and she gets ready to pick it up to take it to the sink, and she looks down and she's like, wait a minute. I didn't have cornmeal in here. I just baked the last bit of bread for that guy over there. There should be no cornmeal in this barrel. So she makes a cake. And she comes back. And there's still cornmeal. The Bible said that it literally replenished itself. And the barrel, the meal, was running over. It overflowed the barrel. Now I believe if she would have said, no, I'm not giving you this cake. I'm making it. My son and I are going to die. And most people would have said, you know, she has every right to do that. She's looking out for her family. If she'd have done that, I believe she'd have never got the rest of the blessing. Because she would have ate that last meal of bread and she'd have died. But because she was willing to obey the voice of God, even if it meant it looked like it would cost her everything she had, she risked it all. And when she risked it all, God supplied her every need. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed have to beg for bread. That's what she was making for the man of God. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And how much more so? 
The reality of it is when we give everything we've got to God and heed to the obedience of His Word, we'll be shocked at what He does in return. Because here's how I know that. And then we're going to go to prayer. I read to you about what God's promise was to Solomon. If you, if you forsake me and you turn from me and you don't listen to me and you don't do this, that, and the other, then I'll, your, your house will be desolate be no more. If you do obey me and you follow my commands, I'll establish you. Look, back in 19, I believe it's around 94, 93, 94, this church became more organized and known. It didn't start here. It had its storefronts and had various parts and pieces. But throughout the course of this church's history, you can go on our website and read parts and pieces of the history's got some of the pictures as they moved and shifted and went to various places they would sometimes have all night prayer meetings they'd have people laying here all night praying in the, on the grounds a house of prayer I mean they'd be praying God would do some things there were highs and there were lows there were ups there were downs there have been transitions of leaders there have been transitions of powers and all those things but yet in 2020 global pandemic hits that should have took us out as a church because realistically speaking, a church our size should not have survived a pandemic. Financially, because people were losing jobs. Social Security and people like that were on fixed incomes. All that was kind of getting kind of screwy. And our size church should have went under. And we didn't. 21 rolls around. We're still dealing with some of the after, and after effects of that and we're still here. We had prayer meetings. We had Monday night, I believe it was last year, we had through the whole month of January, Monday night prayer nights. Four times. Had concentrated prayer. Had various times we've called for special prayer. We've seen miracles happen. Ms. Mary has talked about it. Sister Brenda's talked about it. Other people have talked about the miracle working power of God. This morning we read in your hearing $32,000, surplus fiscal year A to beginning of this year I say this to surmise by saying that to surmise all of it by saying this it is not because we're multi-millionaires here I don't believe God did that because all of us are just rich I don't believe God did that just because you know he had nothing better to do over the last year but I believe he done it because we have strived as a body to your credit constantly be people that will do whatever it takes to be obedient to the word of God if there's a family in need we help them if there's a ministry like CLM that needs a place to rest we bring them in here and we let them have graduations and we go teach their classes and we go do that I mean brother Wendell here's a prime example he was one of the CLM graduates in fact his graduation was at this body at this place at this stage right there you see how God's worked in his life say all that to say because I believe when we when we obey God God does things we can't explain my challenge to us tonight before we leave this place when I ask the question seriously why should you pray a prayer of obedience because every time we obey what thus saith the word of the Lord God always gives us back way more than we committed to him and we might only give him a dollar but he sends thousands of dollars back into the income we might only give him two dollars but he sends two thousand dollars into the budget if we give not just financially but of our time and our talents and our abilities we'll go from 
2019 with just one piano player and a guitar player who left two days later and one singer to a whole entire band. If we commit it to God, God will add new instrumentation and new singers. If we commit it to God and we obey God, God will let us put out these different lights and different things and not affect the budget because God will always give us more abundantly than what we think and comprehend. We obey Him. So my challenge to us in this new year, you know what my... You know what, my God, I feel like as God has given me the vision for 2022 and 2023, and we reach, disciple, and pray for people, but it's one person, one family, one community at a time. I can't reach St. Stephen until I find a family in St. Stephen, and I can't find a family in St. Stephen until I reach one person in that community. The reality of it is this. If we commit it to God, God will press it down, shake it together, and all of a sudden, it will start to run over. Our vats, as the Bible says, will become full. So our challenge as the body of Christ is this. As we get ready to pray tonight, I want us to pray, God, give us opportunities this week, this month, maybe even this year. Put people in our paths. And when we hear what your word, when we hear your voice speak, let us not miss those moments and let us obey what thus saith the word of the Lord. Because it might seem crazy and outlandish to you in that moment. But I'm telling you, if you obey him, you'll be shocked and utterly amazed at what God does when you do what he says you ought to do. As you stand all over the house, you bow your heads together. Heavenly Father, we have come into this house and gathered in, this, in your name to worship you. We have committed this sacred hour into your arms and to your care and your hands. Father, I have tried to do my very best of the ability to teach the people of God that we have to be men and women of obedience. Men and women that will stand before God and say, God, if you need me, I will go. Where you lead, I will follow. God, I will be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And I will do anything and everything that I can for the advancement of God's kingdom. Father, I pray tonight for these body of believers that are under the sound of my voice. God, for them as well as this pastor, give us opportunities to walk humbly before God, but heed the voice of God and walk in obedience according to the precepts, commands, and statutes outlined in the holy pages of your word. Father, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray tonight that you would bless us and keep us face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts. Father, let the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, strength and redeemer. And for this we will always commit to the loving arms of Christ Jesus, our Savior. The body of Christ together said amen. Before we pray the benediction prayer, let me remind you, Wednesday night, we do have Bible study at 7 p.m. in the fellowship hall. Next week will be regular scheduled services for the weekend, but next weekend is also the deadline to, to RSVP for Carmen's baby shower, so please make sure you do that as well. There is an um, uh, invite card that's on the um, bulletin board if you need the telephone numbers, or if you want to let us know here at the church, we can send that information to um, uh, Carmen and to Miss Susie as well, but or you can get her phone number out there and coordinate with her, them about coming. But we want you to make sure you 
be a part of that if you can do so. Also, don't forget all of the special events as well as the upcoming events for October are on the calendars out front. Please make sure if you didn't get one today, get one of each, one per family, not one per person. But get both. There's two pieces of paper or two different calendars. So please get those so that you can mark accordingly what's going on for the remainder of this year. I'm going to ask Brother Randy to pray our benedictory prayer. Immediately following this prayer, you can consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you tonight. We love you. Brother Randy.